This is the Innovation Engine podcast from Three Pillar Global, your home for conversations with industry leaders on all things digital transformation and innovation. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Doon, and I'm excited to be joined today by Arjun Pillai, co-founder and CEO of the soon-to-launch company, Docket. Arjun is a serial entrepreneur with two successful exits under his belt. After his most recent startup, Inset.ai, was acquired by ZoomInfo, Arjun spent more than two years there, first as SVP of Product Management and Data, and then as Chief Data Officer. Arjun is also a co-founder of 1.0 Ventures, a micro-angel investment network that invests in early-stage technology companies. Arjun, welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot for having me, Bernie. I'm excited. Fantastic. Well, let's get let's get started. So, you're a prolific writer on LinkedIn, and for this episode, I want to start off by unpacking one of your recent posts. Uh, it really stood out to me for what you call go-to-market first product management. So, what do you mean by this term, GTM first uh, product management? Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I was not looking for this term per se, uh, but it kind of came to me. The reason is I've been. I've done a lot of products in my life. You know, I've done two startups and and, and with my first pro- startup, I actually had a bunch of failed ones too. Like four of them failed before the fifth company succeeded. Uh, how we learn, so, right? Uh, fifth, fifth product, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we learn. So, so all of that product building, launching, and then taking it to the market kind of, you know, over a period of time taught me this very interesting thing that... When you're building a product, you have to kind of start thinking about how do you get the distribution for this product? Who are the users? How are they going to hear about mm-hmm. it? When you are a first-time mm-hmm. founder, it's a classic mistake that you think that I'm just going to build and they're going to come, right? Never they will come. Yeah, never happens. You know this, right? <laughs> so there's a friend of mine. Uh, he gave me the story. He used to work at Google. Very, very smart guy. He left Google and started a, a company and built a really cool product. Literally nobody visited that site, right? Like three people or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the product and the company failed. And uh, I was talking to him and he, he told us, you know, when I was at Google, all we had to do was to put a very tiny hyperlink somewhere on the homepage <laughs> and I would get millions of people to my new product, right? Whether it's it's a, even if, exactly, right? And when you start a company, it is not like that. You really need to think mm-hmm. through. So all of that... Um, concept when I thought about it, how do you kind of think about a product from a go-to-market first standpoint? That is where I got to um, this terminology called go-to-market product management. And we can unpack it. There's a lot of pieces to it if you want us to start unpacking that a little bit more. Yeah, if you could if you could dive in a little bit further for, or for the audience, I'm, I'm familiar with your post, but it'd be great if you could break that down a little bit to explain what you mean by that. Sure. Yeah. So when you build a product, typically what happens is there are a few pieces that have to align, right? There's the building of the product part, which for startups, I would say that that is the easier part, unless you are building mm-hmm. like a core research kind of a thing. The building mm-hmm. is kind of the easier part. But once you build, who is it for? Like the product strategy of it and then the packaging strategy of it, like which all features go into which packages? How do you bring them mm-hmm. in? How do you upsell them? How do you cross sell them? What are the add-ons? What is the base? Mm -hmm. Is it a seed-based model, package model, all of that packaging Mm -hmm. strategy? And then there is the, how are you going to get to the market? Is it product-led motion? Mm -hmm. Is it market uh, marketing-led motion? Is it sales-led motion? Or is Mm -hmm. it virality-led motion, influencer-led motion? Like, there are so many ways in which you can get to the market. Mm 
Right. So there's that strategy. So there's product strategy, uh, packaging strategy, go-to-market strategy. Then there is the pricing strategy, which is, again, mm -hmm. we touched about it a little bit with packaging. Sure. But how do you price for maximum scale? And then there is uh, the, the onboarding strategy. Then there is the ongoing mm -hmm. success strategy. And then there is the support strategy. People mm -hmm. typically think about all of these things in different boxes. Okay, I need to have a product strategy. I need to have a pricing strategy. I need to have mm -hmm. a support strategy. That's not how it works. You have to really decide, okay, I'm gonna, who am I going to build it? If, if it is for mid-market, the moment you make that decision, the whole thread aligns in a slightly different way. If you're doing it for mm -hmm. mid-market, then you are thinking about, okay, you have to give them some level of onboarding. You cannot be like, okay, here is the product, go to whatever you want. You cannot mm -hmm. do it that way. There has to be some way in which you are helping them to onboard to the product. Then it has to be typically a sales-led motion in at least to some extent, you can bring people at the top of the funnel right. in different ways, but you need to have like a sales-led motion because in mid-market, it's not an impulse buy that is happening. It is always, they are going to compare mm -hmm. you against like two or three other companies and then go and sure. buy you out, right? So yep. then it also means that the sales cycles are not going to be three days. It's like 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, 90 days. Then mm -hmm. if you are spending like 90 days to sell a product, that product has to at least bring like, you know, 30, 40 K in, ACB. Otherwise, you are right. rest of the account executive SDR math won't work out, right? right? Then you land at 40K, you want to have your ASP even higher than that. So what are you going to add? So all of these thought process, you have to align in one single thread right from day one for you to, I mean, mm -hmm. again, when I say day one, it doesn't mean that everybody has to know everything before they start the first company and first product, but you have to be mindful about these things that these are not different. And, um, I'll, I'll tell a, a very interesting, this is, uh, this is how basically I learned this. And this is what I think I have mentioned in that LinkedIn post. Um, I, mm -hmm. I went into ZoomInfo, my second company got acquired by ZoomInfo. And then I went to ZoomInfo and Henry Shuck, the CEO at ZoomInfo said, hey, Arjun, can you build out this uh, account-based marketing platform for us? And I'm like, okay, I'm good at building products. So let me take it up and, and start building it out. So I took up this product and then started building out the product. We had like a small team of 15 people. We built it out in a pretty interesting way over four and a half months. Then what I recognized is any product feature, any product or feature that I built at ZoomInfo, ZoomInfo at that point had over 30,000 customers. Today it has over 35,000 customers. Uh, mm -hmm. For any feature to succeed, 2,000 non-engineering people, non-technical people, they need to know and message about it, right? So yes. these 2000 people are the salespeople, the SDRs, the, the support people, the success people, the account managers, right? So all these people need to talk about this feature for this product or this feature to succeed. Otherwise the feature will go out. Nobody will know about and talk it. About and, and talk about that. I talk about that consistently, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. They need to resonate with the problem. They need to they need to resonate with the value proposition. They need to know who they should talk to. You know all of these things. So that mm -hmm. is where I'm like, oh my god, this is not as easy as you think. Put the technically advanced feature into a product and it's going to just take off. That wouldn't happen. So you need to really think about how your end people, customer facing folks, are going to talk about this. That is where this whole concept came to me in a more of a structured mm. format. Does that all oh, make sense? I, I, it, 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 it is. And like, uh, let, let me play back my, my take on that. So, so, so we talk a lot about the, a, cus, a customer journey, you know, through, through our products and service and things like that. 
But what yeah. strikes me about what you just described is it's really the life cycle of, of a product, right? Like our feature. So you know, we have a feature idea, the feature idea is born. We do some research yeah. to validate that customer-centric approach. But then yeah. that feature needs to be shipped and it needs to be cared for and nurtured and then onboarded to the user community but at a pretty massive scale where uh, you're very passionate. Of course, we're pa- passionate about the features that, that, um, that we build and, and why. And, and that has to be communicated out and scaled across an organization. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the interesting thing that I've learned is, you know, and I, uh, I, I've, I started my career in 2011 timeframe. That's when I graduated mm-hmm. out of engineering. And I've mm-hmm. been fortunate enough to talk to smarter people who have been with Yahoo's of the world and you know, before that, basically. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I have heard from these people is the way in which the product management uh, has evolved. Product managers have, in, in their words, and I think I resonate with it some level, is they have dumped down a little bit. When the there was a time when product managers used to be a lot more thinking like a mini CEO kind of a role or a general manager mm-hmm. kind of role where they think about profit, loss, messaging, competitors, landscape, all of that. From mm-hmm. to to a lot of people are like Jira ticket writers now, right? They just mm-hmm. sit down and write this ticket, that ticket, this ticket, that ticket. Go to design. So it's a combination of Jira ticket writing and project management. That is the the, the new product management. For for a lot of people, I'm not saying all of them, right? There are obviously super super smart people, and the, and you would find really smart people in really product heavy companies. If you noticed, uh, there was this uh, interesting podcast by Brian Chesky, um, Airbnb CEO. I think it's Lenny's podcast or somewhere. Uh, so that one, uh, Brian talks about how he's rethinking the product management thought process. When I was listening to it, I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I was thinking. But he articulated it. I'd say much better. Basically, what he did is he, um, for the product, they they have conventionally broken down the way in which they are thinking about product management. Now a product manager has to also think about how they are going to message about the product. So they combined product marketing and product management into one, pretty much at um, Airbnb. And instead of having juniors as product managers, they have elevated the seniority level of all the product managers a little bit more while finding other roles for the people who are more junior. So I think that's what we are talking about here, right? If you can think about a product, uh, if you're a startup, then you have to think about the whole product. If you're a big company, you're a product manager, you are thinking more about a feature or an add-on or something like that. And then how do you message it? How do you report it out? What is KPI? I'm sure if you go and ask a product manager, like what is the average usage of the last feature that you shipped? Either they will not know the answer or the answer will be in single digits, right? The adoption of any given feature. So that is what we want to avoid because there's a lot of things that we need to do to get a feature out. Someone should be using it. I love it. So it's, and it's really a, it's a cross discipline path from the feature idea being born to going to the hands of all the customer facing people to being uh, used and adopted and then to commercial viability. And again, that's kind of like the, in the traditional way of saying it was like the CEO of, of the product. So there's yeah. one thing uh, you, you label also in your LinkedIn post that's very important, and that's the product demo. So why is the mm-hmm. product demo so important in that GTM first approach? Yeah, uh, I made this mistake. That's, that's how I know this very well. Uh, <laughs> so with my, I mean, I am a, uh, I'm not a trained salesperson, but when you are a CEO of a small startup, then you have to sell. 
So I have learned the art of selling in some form or fashion in my own style, though not trained by external people. So I'll give the example of my second company. We had this really good product. It was a conversational marketing product. I was doing demos. But the way I did the demo is um, I was uh, doing the demo on our production instance itself. So it's literally running on whatever is happening on our website at, at that point in time. Sometimes there is data. Sometimes there isn't any data. The, I think the biggest mistake that I did in that thing is we rolled out analytics. You know, So there was no analytics in the, in the product in the first iteration or second iteration. Third iteration, we brought in like really good analytics, actually. I was very proud of what we shipped in terms of the actual product and feature. But since it was on production and we were a small company, there was hardly any data. Especially we shipped it yesterday. There's not going to be any data when I put last 60 days right into the filters. And I didn't think about it much. I will. I used to say the demo like, yeah, this is going to be your analytics. You know, everything is going to look right here, blah, blah, blah. I just skipped over it or skipped or I just explained with whatever little data that I have. I, I never quite thought about it at that point. And then I went to ZoomInfo. Right. ZoomInfo is one of the world's best revenue engine when it comes to B2B selling and, and uh, supporting. So uh, there I saw when I rolled out the product, I saw how much emphasis was being done on how are we going to show it to our customers. The customer should be able to resonate with it. And again, unlike a founder selling something because the founder has deep knowledge about what they are selling versus when you want a, a salesperson like a 24-year, 26-year-old to sell that product, it's a different challenge, right? So you've got to make it as easy as possible for that person. So what we did is we took, I think, at the launch time, we delayed the launch by a couple of days or something. And then we took that additional time to put a small sprint in place to put synthetic data into the demo platform. So we had a demo platform that was separate from the production instance. We pushed synthetic data into that system and then made sure that the demo looks kick-ass. And it, it supported the storyline, that the, the, the script that we had written out, right? So that, that is also very in, critical, right? You need to have a script when you go to the market and your demo should support the script that your team is actually doing. One, one other interesting thing that happens with a lot of companies is they do the demo on their development or staging or in production. And then you would make some change from time to time. And during the demo, you wouldn't know your team would push an update and the whole system would break for a little bit of time. And you are like apologizing to your customer saying, hey, looks like my team is pushing something, blah, blah, blah. Again, when you're a small company, does it make huge difference? Maybe. Maybe you are dealing with your biggest customer at that point and your demo screws up and, and you lose that deal. But when you are a decent sized company, you absolutely have to take that additional effort to build out a demo instance that has got all the synthetic data in that aligns very well with the script that you have given to your salespeople and uh, you know keep it updated from time to time and make sure it looks good when it is going to the customer love it so with a company like zoom info where you had thousands or tens of thousands of customers what you said thirty thousand at the time right and hundreds of customer success managers, then how do you, once you've got that, uh, the demo you described, how do you scale and manage the experience of these product demos with, with that audience? Yeah, uh, so a lot happens for in the first enablement sessions and the ongoing enablement sessions that they are going to get. So there are multiple levels of training we do, right? Typically, most of the companies do, like a, there's a launch kind of a, a sales enablement training where you 
launch a feature and then you take them through a deck of why did we launch the feature? Who is this feature for? What exactly are we launching? What are the features of it? And then followed up by like a demo of the product and the feature. And then you kind of call out the things that they should actually call, uh, show. So that's part of it. Then there is the deeper thing where we do go and talk, work with the solutions consultants and the sales engineers and go really deep for even more detailed questions in the demo and the technical details behind and things like that. And then it's the ongoing, right? We look at the cold recording to see if these guys are doing it in the right way. And then wherever we need additional enablement, you go and do that additional enablement. So once the feature is shipped in the right way with the right synthetic data, then it's all about the enablement making sure that they are talking about it in the right way, talking to the right customers about it in the right way, those kinds of things. Okay. So you empower everyone and then also kind of measure and monitor and coach to make sure that the original purpose and intent um, is, is coming through, is shining through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. So you said one of the downsides of not taking this approach is that your product and feature strategy can be based on hope. So we built we built a feature, we put it out there, and we hope it's going to go well. Uh, but that means you're almost destined to churn out features that can be used by less than five percent of your of your customer base. So uh, a couple of things, we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And then on the flip side, if you do take the approach you're describing, you'll end up with products and features that are usable and adopted. By what percentage of the customer base do you think you you go from the five percent to to something something better? Yeah. Yeah, so it, uh, it really depends on the scale of your company and the stage at which you're operating and what kind of a company you are. Like, for example, if you're an enterprise company, um, then you have a lot of bells and whistles as an enterprise products, you know, like you have uh, compliance things, privacy things, role-based permissions, um, localization, languages, you know, I'm taking an example. So there are so many things. Every enterprise will not need all of this, but... Uh, for you to sell to thousand enterprises, you need all of this, right? So if you're an enterprise tool, then you shouldn't hope for 90% adoption for all the features. That's not how it should be. But it's probably around that 30% mark, right? Or 35% mark, where 35% of your customer base need to adopt it. I'll give uh, my example again, my second company example again. When we rolled out, we had a, um, the thesis was like a human first conversational platform for B2B. And for that human first to work out, we need to have uh, the identity of the person or the company that you are talking to. And for us to do that, we need to have you hook up your CRM or marketing automation into our tool. So we put the number that 100% of our customers should be doing a CRM and our marketing automation. And for a good set of the time, the 100% we really was at, we were at 100% adoption when it comes to CRM and our marketing automation. Then we rolled out an additional feature where we were doing kind of like a form-based uh, meeting scheduling. We didn't think that every company would need a form-based scheduling. So we were like, okay, let's put this at about 65% or 70%. I don't remember the exact number. And then we were trying to get there. The most important thing here is not about the absolute of that percentage. It is about what you think as a product manager should be that target. See, I can right. promise you, go and ask a product manager, what is your target usage for this particular feature? They wouldn't have thought about it. Nine out of 10 cases, right? That is the problem. If you're a product manager, you need to think about, hey, I'm putting this feature outside. What percentage of my customers do you think need it? 
and will use it and what should be a good target and what is the time frame for me to go from zero percent usage to the x percentage of usage that i think it is and then what are the channels in which i'm going to push it what how do how am i going to track this right like all of these things typically what happens is companies will uh, companies don't even track this properly because you talk about uh, hitting a goal the hitting a goal is about the feature that rolled out so when somebody reviews q2 let's say uh, q2 quarter and then they will review the quarter at the start of the next quarter at that time there's absolutely zero usage of that feature because the feature probably shipped in the last print of q2 then you are at two weeks after you are like there's nothing to look at right at that point you're like yeah we rolled out the feature and in q3 you don't look at the q2 feature that you rolled out you look at the q3 feature that you rolled out right and then q2 feature is not even looked at q3 feature doesn't have any option per se so this is how most companies are rolling basically I think we could probably uh, invest three or four hours talking about the metrics that metrics that matter, right? But Absolutely. just kind of replaying back is that you, you've got the feature idea, but as you think about um, the usability, the the feature or the product must be chosen and it must be commercially viable. You really need to have that hypothesis on what the value of that feature is and how you're going to measure whether or not you landed at the destination successfully and then probably yeah. pivot as you get more information to challenge your original hypothesis. But you made a, key, uh, a lot of key points, but I want to talk about uh, that's the time to get there as well. So we want to minimize yeah. our time to to value it and get to that um, that hypothesis to value as quickly as we can. Uh, absolutely yeah there, there is absolutely some time that will take and sometimes you know three months is fine sometimes six months is fine but you need to know and have an assumption uh, as you see product manager is supposed to be the uh, the person who is behind the product strategy and strategy at its core of it is about creating assumptions right you if you are putting an assumption you don't know the market like you put a feature out there you have pretty much no way to absolutely know what percentage you'll adopt. There's no way. But as a product strategy guy, you are making a, an intelligent assumption. I think 37% of my customers would be able to use it within the next six months and our primary way to go to market with this feature will be my account managers and CS people. So you make that assumption, right? And then you try to put a strategy behind it. But most of the product managers are way more comfortable putting a plan in place, which is everything is in your control. I'm going to hire one more person in Q2. That is a plan, right? There's no unknowns at that point. If you have budget, you can hire a person, no big deal. But to make a strategy, which is about an assumption where you do not fully control the outcome, but if you continuously make those strategy assumptions, over a period of time, you get good at triangulating to it. And that is what a product manager has to strive to achieve versus being the project planner and, and do only things that you control. Makes makes sense. So, um, so if we've got a, a product manager, uh, whatever experience level, it's important that you think through the GTM first approach from you know feature ideation all the way to success and and adoption. Well, let's yeah. pivot a little bit. Um, so you're in the process of starting a new venture, uh, which is not an entirely new experience for you, obviously. Are there parallels between GTM first product management and the process of going from zero to one? And if so, what what are they? Yeah, yeah, big time. So the the <clears throat> a lot. Yeah, the 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 first thing about startup is you have to go to market first before you write a line of code, right? So the way we have done with Docket is we actually went and did a bunch of customer discovery 
and uh, that and we went through that for a few weeks. We had like hundred plus conversations first before we even decided that this is what we are going to do, right? So that, that is the biggest difference. Yeah, you have to absolute. That is the right way to do it. And the first four products that I built failed because I did not do that. Since then, I have gotten a lot better at customer discovery and going and talking about problems and things like that to customers. So that is the biggest uh, thing that we are doing from a GTM uh, standpoint. The next thing that we have done is we haven't uh, converted people into uh, companies into customers. We have converted them into design partners. So instead of saying that we are going to build it and give it to you, we went to them and say, can we build it with you? And that is the motion that we are running at Talkin. So co-creation and collaboration in the design of the solutions, super smart. Yeah. Yeah. So it is not only at the start of the process, on a weekly basis, we have all these guys added into our Slack Connect. So we are talking to our champions and, and influencers and the, the decision makers on a you know weekly, daily kind of a basis where we are asking things. That's the second part of you know the, the go-to-market uh, first product management. The third thing that we are doing is we have identified a few ways to put something in front of people before it is ready. Simple thing is Figma, right? Figma has gotten so advanced today. You can literally put like a, a, a Figma clickable prototype, give it to people and just sit back on Zoom and say, why don't you play around with it? Let me just watch. Right. So you will and see as you that were saying, clicking. Yes. Yeah. And as you were saying earlier, that is the least cost, least risk approach before you start to write code is to learn where you're wrong, but equally important, learn or learn where you're right, but equally important, learn where you're wrong. Right. I want to discover how the, how it's being used and and adapt in the design and discovery stage versus doing that after I launch. Yeah. The other thing that we have done is we have went ahead and learned uh, as much as we can about all the potential tools that they are using today. How did they find those tools? How much are they paying for those tools? Is it based on seats? Is it based on you know uh, the, the platform pricing? Is it based on usage? Like how do you do that? And then what are the challenges that they face with those tools? And then talking about those things. So there's a there's a lot in my in my mind. An enterprise can probably get away with not doing GTM first product management. A startup cannot get away from. Uh, you know, not doing bring GTM first product management. You can ask anybody, everybody will have their own terminology of this because this is my terminology. Nobody else might be using this, but I'm sure they will give some form of an answer that is very similar to this concept. Yeah, I, I, we work with a lot of you know enterprise and middle market companies, and I can say that is absolutely uh, fundamental that you start with that with that learning and, and design and, and discovery phase. So that com- completely resonates with me. Uh, well, so uh, well, I think we've come to the speed round stage in our, our conversations. So we'd like to close each episode out with a speed round. And I'm going to ask you a few fun questions. Most importantly, I think, is when is Docket coming out of stealth mode? Uh, it's not in stealth per se. We have talked about what we do and things like that. It's just that we don't have a website fully up and running right now. And the only reason is um, we actually got nine pilots instead of five pilots. Uh, you know, there's a lot of the interest and I'm not able to serve them. So, you know, the in terms of the number of things that we have to do, the website hasn't gotten up to a priority yet, but it's going to change in the next 30 days. We are going to have a website and we'll talk more about what we do and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, it, but the product is going to come out of uh, alpha in four months. Great. We're excited. Can't wait to see that. 
so you've written on LinkedIn quite a bit. Uh, and you've also written about why you're not a big book reader. So what are some of the other, and if I have that right, and what are some of the other items in your media consumption diet that you can't go without? Yeah, I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, I watch a lot of podcasts and sometimes podcasts as YouTube videos. I have configured my Google News uh, in a way that almost everything that I want finds me. And I go to Google News almost on a daily basis. Um, and it, it, it pushes pretty much every topic that I care about. They keep pushing and it's very good personalization. Although I know they are taking all of my data. Uh, then I use Twitter. Again, I, I don't post a lot on uh, Twitter unlike LinkedIn. But Twitter is like the more real time, like the whole open AI episode that was happening. You know, I was following on Twitter and I made, you know, so I used that quite a bit. Um, so I would say then LinkedIn, of course, you know, I am active on LinkedIn. I do write, I do engage on LinkedIn. I do talk to people. Then most importantly, I am fortunate to talk to a lot of really, really smart people. So, you know, the people who, again, I do not know all the spaces, by the way. I just, I stay in my lane. Sales tech, MarTech, data tech, and the related spaces are what I know. And I'm fortunate to know all the good, most of the good people in that space, and they are happy to spend some time with me. I'm happy to do the same. So a lot of learning happens from there, where we are uh, unafraid to put our opinions and then take feedback from the other side. Yep. So a combination of training the algorithms to give you the con- the, the the content that you want to consume, good content creation and consumption, and then nothing beats the the live conversations with people and experts. So, well, let's wrap up with uh, where should our listeners go to find more about you and your work? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best place. I, um, I'm like you said, I write. I try to write almost on a daily basis, at least uh, three times, four times a week. I write on LinkedIn, and I, I'm available there. You, you guys need me, ping me. Um, yeah, that's probably the one place that I'd say my email and stuff like that. It's all available here and there. I'm not a, I'm a very, very public person. So if you search enough, you will find me for sure. Uh, use Zoom Info, you will find me. My data is in there. So <laughs> yeah, I'm the chief data officer. So you, would, you should assume that. Uh, yeah, so it's easy to find me. Uh, the only request is if you find me, be specific in your ask. Like I want to start up. How can you help? You know, that's a very generic ask. There's no way I, I or anybody else can help you. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this company. It's like this. I want to get here. I'm raising at 300K. Um, I'm looking at Techstar Seattle. Can you write an intro? Like whatever, right? Make that specific enough for me so that I can see if I can help you. I love that. Fantastic advice. Well, Arjun, thank you so much for being a guest on the Innovation Engine podcast. We really appreciated you having you coming on board and sharing your story. I'm sure we'll have follow-up conversations on GTM first product management. Thanks so much for being here today. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me. This has been a blast. This has been an episode of the Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. Three Pillar is a digital product development and innovation partner that helps companies compete and win in the digital economy. To learn more about Three Pillar Global and how we can help you, visit our website at threepillarglobal.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.